0: Please pray with me. O oh Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and all your beloved children. Amen. So the scripture we've just heard, thank you guys for reading that, starts late in the life of Abraham and Sarah, way after they're first mentioned in the Bible in Genesis 11, seven chapters back. So I'm going to recap a little bit, and we'll start way back when they actually had different names, Abram and Sarai. So about 30 years before our story from Genesis 18 begins, God promises Abram to be the father of many descendants. Abram and Sarai travel to Egypt. Abram is less than honorable while he's there. There's a whole story, which includes him telling everyone that Sarai is actually his sister and giving her to the pharaoh of Egypt as a concubine. About 15 years before our story from today, God promises again that Abram will be the father of many. Several years after that, still no child is born to Sarai, so Abram and Sarai cook up a plan to make God's promise come true. Sarai's handmaiden Hagar was given to Abram, and she became pregnant and gave him a son, Ishmael, who was born 13 years before our story begins today. In the chapter right before this one, chapter 17, God appears to Abram, who is now 99 years old, and again promises him that he will be the father of many. God gives him a new name, from Abram to Abraham, which means ancestor of a multitude. Abraham says, yes, we already helped you figure it out, God. Ishmael is my son and will be the leader of many. And God says, nope, not Ishmael. Your wife, Sarai, will give you a son. And by the way, you're not supposed to call her Sarai anymore, but Sarah, meaning princess, the mother of many. And what does Abraham do? He falls on his face and laughs. Chapter 17, verse 17. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And God said, Yep. So now we come to our passage from today, Genesis 18. There are three men who appear to Abraham. Sometimes they're referred to as messengers or men, and sometimes it's the Lord. It's a little bit confusing. But whoever they are, they're strangers. And at least at first, Abraham doesn't know that they're God or God's messengers. Abraham offers them his hospitality, a little water for washing their feet, and a little bread for refreshment. And they sit down to wait for him. Abraham hurries off and asks Sarah for these things. But instead of a little bread, he asks Sarah for three measures of choice flour. Three measures is about a bushel of flour. So that's about enough to make like 30 pounds-ish of dough. And the choice flour is the fancy flour, the flour reserved for kings and noble people. And so not only a ridiculous amount of fancy bread, but Abraham also prepares a young calf and curds and milk. An abundance of hospitality, an extravagance of hospitality. This story, as I was thinking about it, about hospitality, made me wonder how I could do better with an extravagant welcome, and how I've seen that gift manifested in others. The other day, I got a call from my dad out of the blue. I never know quite what to expect when my dad calls. It could be that he wants to have a nerdy chat about birds, which I'm always happy to do, or that he's just on the road and wants to talk. I'm always a little bit nervous that he's channeling his dad, my grandpa, who we have lots of stories of grandpa, but once just showed up at our door for an unannounced visit, having driven through three states from Ohio. But this time my dad asked, hey, can you translate for me? My parents live near Bethel College in Newton, Kansas, and the college parking lot is right across the street from their house. A semi had broken down there, and Dad had gone over to see what was happening, because he likes to know what's happening, but the driver spoke only Spanish. The driver and I chatted a bit on the phone, and I found that he needed to find his way to Wichita, half an hour south of Newton, but that he couldn't find an Uber, because Ubers don't exist in Newton, Kansas. I translated that for my dad, who immediately said, I'll take him, no problem. The man was incredulous. I'll pay him for that, he said, which of course, I knew my dad wouldn't accept. And I taught my dad about Google Translate so that they could have a conversation on their drive. And later that day, my dad called me back to tell me all about what they'd talked about on their way to and from Wichita. I want to be like my dad. I want to jump in and ask questions. I wanna embrace the absurdity of not knowing and be open to helping or being helped. Those are gifts that my dad has in abundance. And those are gifts that I'm still working on embracing. Where have you experienced radical hospitality? And how have you extended that hospitality to others? And how could we as a church family help each other as we move towards Abraham's radical hospitality? Now, back in our Genesis story, we come to Sarah's part. She's listening, over eavesdropping, to Abraham and the guests talk inside the tent, but she remains hidden. One of the men, or God, whoever it is, says, Abraham, your wife Sarah will have a son. And Sarah laughs. Now, when you've heard this text preached before, do you remember how the speaker characterized Sarah? I have heard it preached much like Doubting Thomas, like her faith wasn't complete, like she should have believed God. But just like doubting Thomas gets a bad rap, I think Sarah does too in this story. Remember, she has been waiting for almost her whole life to get pregnant. And this takes place over 30 years since the first time that God promised that Abraham would have many descendants. For the last 13 years, she's assumed that Ishmael is that son. Who will be giving him the descendants, and that he will be the descendant of Abraham? She's given up the idea of having her own child. Forgive me for a minute for a little bit of body talk, but it's there in the text, and I want to make sure it's really clear to all of us. Sarah is postmenopausal, she's not having periods anymore. And it even says that in chapter 18, verse 11. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Sarah is 90. Abraham is 99. She laughs to herself at the idea of having a child saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? Or in my favorite translation that I read, An old woman like me get pregnant with this old man of a husband? (laughs) Friends, she is old. Her husband is old. This is not gonna happen. So Sarah laughs. Because if you were 90 years old and your husband was 99 and you'd stopped menstruating decades ago and someone told you you were gonna have a baby, I think that the only real response here is laughter. Like kind of like giggling like a junior higher in health class kind of laughter. Like wondering how is this really gonna work kind of laughter. And I also wonder whether this laughter contained another emotion for Sarah. Abraham has already had a child with Hagar and we know that caused tension among all of them. Abraham had given Sarah to the Pharaoh. Was there still conflict between Sarah and Abraham? Because we don't just laugh when we're happy, we laugh when we're embarrassed, when we're hurt, when we're uncertain. So maybe this laughter is incredulous, maybe it's a pained laugh, maybe it's joyful, but it's an honest laugh. It's an understandable and a relatable laugh. And despite what I picked up about this story in my youth, Sarah is not rebuked for laughing. God says, why did you laugh? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And Sarah says, I didn't laugh. And God said, oh, yes, you did. And that little interchange, I just really find lovely. An honest laugh out of what emotions Sarah was feeling. God stopping the conversation with Abraham to notice it. And Sarah, realizing she's been heard, quickly saying, oh, nope, nope, I didn't. And God again, noticing her recognizing her there's a vulnerability in sarah here and god acknowledges that and understands her god has seen her struggle god knows her deepest desire and in god's response sarah is acknowledged and not rebuked is anything too wonderful for the lord is beating swords into plowshares too wonderful for the lord is the upside down blessings of the sermon on the mount too wonderful for the lord the audacity of everyone at Pentecost hearing their own languages spoken, the absurdity of a bleeding woman healed by touching Jesus' cloak, the outrageousness of post-menopausal woman and her century-old husband having a baby together. These are ridiculous stories. They don't fit into what we know can usually happen in our world. They are stories of God turning things upside down and inside out. They are stories of surprise. They are stories of wonder. If those stories had happened to us, might we have found ourselves laughing out of wonderment or shock? Would we have laughed with the outlandishness of God's promises? As a pastor this week that I read, Alicia Gordon wrote, there are times in our life when we listen to the promises of God, whether through our own internal dialogue with the Creator or through the mouths of those trusted pastoral advisors, and find ourselves laughing at the impossible. Both Psalm 116 and the Genesis text point toward the impact and reward of listening to God and hearing God's promises, even ones that are impossible to believe." End quote. When have you seen a laughable impossibility come to pass? When have you seen God's outlandish promises made evident in the world? Because our broken, beautiful world is full of everyday pain. Our world is full of people longing to be parents, and like Sarah, unable to do so for many years. And those stories often do not end with a pregnancy. Or people who desire to live to a ripe old age with their spouse like Abraham and Sarah, but one dies too early. Or believing that God has promised you one thing, but experiencing another. All of these are also known and seen and understood by God. All of these experiences are real and valid, Just because our God does upside down and wonderful things doesn't mean that those wonderful things always happen. And I wish I had an explanation for that, why sometimes we can laugh with the wonderment of it all, and sometimes we cry or we scream in frustration. But what I do know is that God is there, that God was with Sarah in the agony of those 30-plus years of anticipation, that God was with Hagar in her embarrassment and her exile, That God is with us when we feel lost or alone or forgotten. The God of laughable impossibilities. The God of radical hospitality. The God who created universes and tiny atoms. The God who surrounds us and who lives within us. This huge and tiny and unimaginable God. This God cares about each one of us. This God laughs with us and cries with us and is with us in our pain. This God is patient and understanding when we are decidedly not. This God delights what we delight in. This God waits for us as long as it takes because nothing is too wonderful for God.